Hey, I'm, I'm really fired up to get into this new series. Um, I, I grew up in a family with four kids, uh, two parents. Uh, there were six of us. We lived in a home that was about 1,500 square feet. So you can imagine there wasn't a whole lot of you know, room to spread out. We were up in each other's business quite a bit. And the phrase, mind your business, it came out of our mouths as kids quite a bit. Um, I'll give you one example. I remember trying to talk to my girlfriend on the phone. Uh, we, I'll date myself. We didn't have cell phones when I grew up. We had actually these, uh, you know, phone that was connected to a cord. And some of you are like, what is that? This is how we talked. It was, this was our phone, right? And if you're lucky enough to have the cord that stretched really far, you tried to like get all the way in your bedroom, close the door, you know. What's up, girl? How you doing? Yeah, I love you. No, you say goodnight. You say goodnight. And you sit there listening to each other's breath, <sighs> you know. <laughs> but one time, I, I, if you, my sister picked up the other phone, because if you had another phone, you could pick it up and listen in on the conversation, and, and she was listening, and I got so mad. I mean, I ran in her room, and what did I say? Mind your business. You know, this is something we said as kids. Anybody else say that? Yeah. We, it carries into adulthood as well, right? I mean, just the concept of someone, but, you know, butting into your business. I was actually on the plane recently. I was flying and I was working on a message uh, for you. I mean, for our church and I'm working on it. And the guy next to me, he just kind of leans over and he's like, just watching, like what's going on? And he's like, that looks really interesting what you're working on. <laughs> like, yeah, it's about Jesus and you need him because you need to learn to mind your <laughs> business, you know? If I was smart, what I would have done is typed in really big letters. I would have typed like, you know, a journal entry, like journal entry, um, the doctors say it's gonna be okay. Uh, I'm only contagious to people right next to me. You know, something like that's, that's what I should have said, but I was actually um, thinking about this, thinking the times when it bothers us the most when someone intercedes is when it's something really personal to us, right? It's like when someone intercedes with our kids or you know, butts into a marriage or a relationship or you know, maybe with our finances. And I was actually doing some research on this, uh, this word, mind your business, and it's actually really old. It actually um, comes from the time of Jesus. It was a Greek phrase. New Testament was written in Greek. And there's a Greek phrase that was used during the time of Jesus called perseo or persean oidius. And it, it means manage yourself. Like manage yourself. And actually the Apostle Paul, when he wrote the book Thessalonians in the New Testament, writing to the church in Thessalonica, he used this exact Greek phrase. Let me just read it for you from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. Paul says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should what? Mind your own business. That's the phrase he used. And we've been using it for a long time in our, our culture in America, for sure, for a really long time, look at the history books. Actually, around the 1930s, we shifted this phrase just a little bit to soft it, soften it, and uh, here's the phrase we started using, mind your own beeswax. You remember this? When, when I heard this growing up, I heard it, and I thought it was just a funny, weird phrase. There's actually a history behind it. In the colonial periods, women would sit around the fire and make candles out of beeswax. And so you can just picture a bunch of women sitting around the fire and, you know, they all are holding beeswax and, you know, Susie says to Mary, hey, Mary, mind your own beeswax. That's where it comes from. Mind your business. That's kind of fun to say out loud. So I want you to say it like today as we start this series. Say it loud like you mean it to somebody today, right? Count of three. One, two, three. Mind your business. Whoa. 
man, felt some anger coming from somebody there, you know. I, I, I saw, you know, I heard, I felt it from Scottsdale, our Levine campus. Like, there's, I felt that from you. I mean, there's, there, there, this is a big deal, right? It's one thing to be able to say to another person, hey, mind your business. In other words, get out of mine. Here's a question I want us to wrestle with uh, today. When it comes to God, is there any area of your life where you're telling God, God, you need to mind your business? Get out of mind. Now, my experience as a pastor is there's a lot of areas that could be the case for you. But there is one area almost above all others that I see this playing out that we tell God, God, get out of this one. You don't get to weigh in on this one. You know what it is? It's our money. It's our money. I'm holding in my hands um, a really, really rare coin. The history behind this coin is um, America has just gained its independence from Britain And for the first time in American history, our government decides we need to print our own currency for the first time instead of using British currency and other currencies. And so this is the very first coin we printed in American history. It's a copper coin designed by Benjamin Franklin. It's called the Fugio Penny. And here's what's written on it. On the front is written, United States, we are one. And on the back of this coin are these words, mind your business. And I would say that has become a motto for many of us that we tell God when it comes to our money. And the question is this, is our money any of God's business? Like does he get to weigh in at all on it? Now, when we look at scripture on this topic, understand there are 2,000 scriptures on money and possession, over 2,000 in the Bible. So obviously, God cares about this. By the way, that's more scriptures than faith and prayer combined. So obviously, this topic matters to God. The question, though, is, is it any of God's business? So I want you to just baseline yourself today, just, just where you're at. And again, I'm not going to ask you to say anything out loud. Just, just say for yourself where you're at. I would say maybe just to ask yourself, on a scale of zero to 10, how much is your money God's business? Like, how much is it? And a zero might be, It's none of God's business. I make all the calls, you stay out of it. Now a 10 would be like, you're you're perfect, and you'd say God leads in every single area, I listen to him on everything, and he leads, I just follow on this one. And I would just say maybe today, not what you wanna be, just say where are you at in life? Like when it comes to all the decisions you make with money, how much do you allow God to weigh in? Are you a zero, a two, a three? Now, now for me, I'm really passionate about this topic. I am not a 10, though. I'm not. Where, where, would, you, where would you be? Just give yourself a number right now. What's, what's the number that comes in your mind? Give yourself a number. What's interesting to me is that for a lot of us, it's hard for us to even get past this middle point, isn't it? Why is that? I want to tell you the the root behind it, why it's such a struggle for us. And here it is. The foundation behind the phrase, mind your own business, is what? It's one word, ownership. 
Ownership determines whether we allow someone to enter into our business if we think we own it or not, right? Because why? If I own it, you have to stay out of my business. It's my business, not yours. Let me, let's, just, let's give an example. Let's say I borrowed your truck uh, today. And then tomorrow you called me and said, hey, I wanna tell you a couple things about how to use the truck so it doesn't break. And I tell you, hey, get out of my business. I'm just driving the truck. Get out of here. You'd say, that is my business. It's my truck, right? Now, if it was my truck and you called me to weigh in on my truck, I would say, get out of my business. It's my truck, right? Let me give you another example. Let's say I was the coach of the Arizona Cardinals. People have told me for so long, you look like the coach of the Arizona Cardinals. I don't know if I do or not. I'm just gonna start going with it. People say, hey coach, hey, how you doing? I'm just like, (laughs) but if I'm the coach of the Arizona Cardinals, do I have to take input from the owner of the Cardinals or do I get to make all the calls myself? I have to take input. I'm not the owner. I'm a manager of the team. I'm one of the coaches. I I have a role to play, but I don't get to make all the personnel decisions. I don't get to make every decision. I'm not the owner, so here's my only point. Ownership matters when it comes to whether someone else can weigh in to our business or not. And here's the million dollar question when it comes to your money. Who owns it? Who owns it? And for many of us, it's a struggle because our answer is me. And in my opinion, of all the theological, biblical topics I have to teach you, like I really need to like make sure you understand from God's word, I would tell you very personally, I think this one is maybe the hardest one of all to get people to understand biblically. I was talking to our team as we were planning this series and I said, man, I feel like sometimes when I teach on this, it just goes straight over people's heads but I'm gonna try to teach it in a way that I think you can hear it today, and I'm, I've been praying all week long that not just my words, God would rip open your heart for you to really understand this today because it is a transformative biblical idea that you have to let sink into your heart. So I'm gonna read you some scriptures. I'm gonna pray God speaks to you clearly today. When it comes to everything you have today, every cent in your bank account, every asset in your name, every possession in your garage, every investment you have in a bank account somewhere. Here's what God says, clearly. And remember, in biblical times, they didn't have like money like we have. It was gold and silver and other things, right? So Haggai um, 2.8 says this, the silver is what? Mine, says God. The gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. Everything you have, God says, is mine. The New Testament, uh, Paul echoes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 26. He says, the earth is the Lord's, and what? Say this out loud. Everything in it. Everything belongs to God. King David, a man after God's own heart, I think said this most clearly. He said this in 1 Corinthians 29, 11 through 12. He said, everything, there's a the word again, everything in the heavens and earth is, it's yours, O Lord. It all belongs to you. Watch how clear this is. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over, there's the word again, everything. It all belongs to you, God, everything. Now, our inner kindergartner rewrites this verse. 
I call it first me 29, 11 through 12, right? <laughs> this is what we say. Everything in the heavens and earth is mine, God. It's mine. Wealth and honor come from me alone. And I rule over everything. It is so hard for some of us to live as if everything we have comes from God, that he owns it all. Why is that? Here's why. When you read something like that, it sounds over-spiritual. It sounds pie in the sky, flowery, fruity, like, oh, that's real great. God owns everything. But who has two thumbs and wakes up every morning and makes it happen? This guy. I do, okay? I'm the one that wakes up every morning, goes to work, I put in the hours, I put in the effort, my ideas, my decisions, I'm making it happen. So yeah, I know what the Bible says. Let's be honest, I'm making it happen. And God is so funny to me because he can read our minds and our hearts. How? Because he made us. He knows what's inside of us. So he says this to that idea in Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse 17 and 18. He says, you may say to yourself at some point, oh, it's my power and, and it's, it's, it's the strength of my hands that have produced this wealth for me. I'm making it happen. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you, say it out loud, the ability to produce any wealth at all. God created you. Here's what God says to you. I made the brain you have, the strength you have, and the skills you have for anything you have, it all came from me. Every decision you've made came from the brain I gave you. Every idea you had, business idea, or opportunity that came your way, that came from me. So God says, the moment you think it's yours, your toast, it all came from me. Here's the weight of this idea. The moment we take ownership, we lose God's blessing. It didn't come from you. So you can't own it as if it does. I'll never forget, as a, when, I, when I was a young dad, I took my, my little daughter out to McDonald's. And uh, it was around her birthday, and we took her out, and I got her happy meals, like being a good dad, you know. Spent a little extra money for the toy, and, and we were both eating, and I'd wrapped up, and she had a few french fries left, and I, I reached over, just grab a couple. I wasn't gonna eat all of them, I was gonna grab a couple. I reached over to grab a couple of her french fries, and she literally slapped my hand away and said, those are mine. It's like, you little punk. Where do you think those came from? Your dad gave those to you. And I think some of us, who uses the word mind the most? Little kids. And some of us need to mature up and realize that when we have this attitude that it's mine, we lose God's blessing because he looks at us the same way I just looked at my daughter going, are you crazy? Listen, the moment you think it came from you, it will consume you. And when it consumes you, it'll destroy you and begin to destroy everything else around you. And that is why some of you here today, you have more money than you have ever had in your life. And you're miserable. 
There's misery. Why? Because you've taken ownership. And this is a really, really big deal to God. So here's what I wanna do today. I wanna open scripture and I wanna give you three questions you can ask that will make or break you financially. Three questions to really let God's word sink into your heart and these three questions will transform your financial picture forever, for the better. You ready for the three, three questions? If you're taking notes, here's question number one we've already been talking about. You have to drive this one and like get this one right. You have to. Who owns it? Everything you have right now, who owns it? God or me? Who owns it? Now this is the most important financial question you will ever answer in your life. Why? Because if you own it, you will never listen to God on it. It's yours. You'll never let him weigh in on it and let his word impact your life. If God owns it, you're the owner. If he owns it, you're just a manager, a steward, what scripture tells us over and over and over again. You're simply stewarding what God gave you. If you've ever heard me teach on this topic, you know I just get crazy passionate on this topic. And here's why. No other area of my life has God transformed my heart more than this one. I mean, it's like my life story. And here's why. And I've shared this before. When I was first married, I was a mess in this area. I mean, Jamie and I had just graduated Bible college. We actually didn't go straight into the ministry. We went into the, to the business world for a while. We were both working at Intel. We were making more money than we had ever imagined in our life, and we were a mess. Our marriage was a mess. Like, we fought about money all the time, and we had so much of it. And it became such a tension point that I began to just study God's word and say, God, what am I getting wrong here? And as I studied God's word and just everything he had to say about this, I, I began reading a book by a hero of mine, Larry Burkett. And it was this book, I still have it on my shelf, this is the exact book, it's called um, Biblical Financial Study by Crown Financial Ministries, a, a ministry he was running. And I opened this book and in the opening pages there's a chapter that says, titled this way, God owns it all. And I'm like, what? I began reading, I read all the verses that I just read you. And I came to this conclusion, I was like, I didn't learn any of this in Bible college. I, just, I would just glance over those verses. I mean, just ignore them as if they're pie in the sky. And I began to learn about God's ownership. And then I came to this quote on page 19. I still have it highlighted in the book to this day. It says this, when we acknowledge God's ownership, every spending decision becomes a spiritual decision. That stopped me in my tracks. I realized if God owns all this, and I'm just managing it for him, he's watching every decision I make to see how are you doing managing my stuff. It belongs to me, and I thought, I've never thought that way in my life. And then it went on to say this, no longer do we ask, Lord, what do you want me to do with my money? Instead, it becomes, Lord, what do you want me to do with your money? Do you see how revolutionary that thought is? This changed my life. Everything about my finances changed the moment I turned over ownership to God versus me being in control. You can ask our kids, any of our kids to this day, um, even in our household today, Jamie and I have tried to outlaw the word mine. We don't even let our kids say mine, because if they say mine on something, we say, no, 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 who owns that? 
Not mom and dad. God gave that to you. God gave the money to mom and dad. We bought it for you. It's so far from you, it doesn't belong to you at all. So you better share it. You better do what God wants you to do with it. Right? This is a great concept. And then you know what their, their question always was back to us when they were really little? What if we share it and they break it? And here's what we've always said. If they break it, we'll get you something better. That's how much we trust God because it doesn't belong to us. We're going to do what's right. You have to wrestle to the ground. Who owns it? Who owns it? Who owns it? And once you answer that question, it leads to the next most important question you'll ever answer financially, and that's this. Who am I putting first? God or me? Like financially, who am I putting first? Now, forget finances for a second. Forget, forget finances. You have to understand God's greatest desire for your life and mine is that we would put him first in every area of our life. Do you understand God has to be first? He cannot take second place, third place, any place other than first place in your life, in every area of your life. You don't wanna know why? God is first and best. He demands first place. It is a theological discrepancy to even consider putting God any other position in any area of your life other than first. But when it comes to our finances, this is the hardest area for most of us to put God first. And that is why, did you know in scripture, Jesus, even Jesus in the New Testament, Jesus talks more about money than every other topic except for one? Why? Because he knew how hard this would be for you to get. And did you know, for most of us, finances is God's number one competitor for your heart? You cannot be a fully devoted follower of Jesus without putting God first in this area. You can't. Jesus said way too much about it. And that is why all throughout scripture, God gave us a principle for putting him first. For putting him first, why? Because God can't bless any area of your life where you don't put him first. He can't. If God's not first, God's hand of blessing cannot be on that area. He has to be number one. He has to be first. So what is the principle God gave us all throughout scripture to put him first? This is just a principle. What's the principle? It's become a dirty word in church. What is it? It's a tithe. It's a tithe. And people hear that word and they go, oh. Just, just listen with an open heart today. Listen with an open heart. What is a tithe? Here's what a tithe is. It's, it comes from the Hebrew word masur, and a tithe is the first 10%. Now remember the first and remember 10%. A tithe is simply, uh, the word masur just means a tenth. It's 10%, which means a tithe isn't 2%, it's not 4%, it's not 6%, it's not 8%, it's not tossing God a 20 or a 100 spot. That's called tipping God. And God's not your servant. God is Lord over the universe. So we don't tip God. What do we do? We put God first by the way he asked us to, which is a tithe. A tithe is 10%. So let's make it really, really practical today, okay? If you looked at your paycheck and your paycheck was $1,000, what would a tenth, what would, a, what would 10% be? What would it be? $100, right? It's very simple. God normalized this across every income range. So if your paycheck was $10,000, what would a tithe be? It'd be $1,000. If your paycheck was a million dollars, what would a tithe be? 
$100,000. If your paycheck was $100 million, your windfall of $100 million, what would a tithe be? $10 million. Now, did you see what happened to your heart when the numbers got bigger? You puckered. You did. You want to know why? You want to know why? Think about this. There's only so much you can do with $100. There's a lot you can do with $100,000 or $10 million. And that is why statistically, this is, this is true statistically, the people that have the hardest time putting God first with a tithe, 10%, are not those with the little, it's those with the whole lot. Why, because they've come up with an amount they think they can chuck God's way that, that they feel good about versus giving God what he said, which is the first 10%. And that is why all throughout scripture we're told things like this. In Malachi chapter three, it says bring the what? Whole tithe. Why did God have to say bring the whole tithe? Because even people back then were tipping God. They were bringing less than 10%. Now notice the word bring. Why is it, every time you see the word tithe in scripture, it almost always uses the word bring, not give. Why? Because you can't give something that doesn't belong to you. You can only bring it back to the owner. Now, everything belongs to God, but the tithe, right? The tithe, God says specifically, this is mine. It doesn't belong to you. The first 10%, so I want you to bring it back to me to honor me so I can bless the rest. Now, he says bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. The storehouse was a room connected to the temple at the time, so that is simply us, God telling us, where do you bring the tithe? You bring it to what's now the modern, it's the local church. We don't get to decide where we bring the tithe to. Why? Because if you get to decide, that means you're the owner. God's the owner, he tells us where to bring it, and I'm just telling you, God says all throughout scripture, bring it to the local church. Why? So that there may be food in my house. Now think about the theological implications of that. Do you wanna go to a church where you feel nourished? Why are so many churches in our country and world today malnourished? There's not food. Because the whole tithe's not being brought there. I mean, if this, if, if this happened tomorrow, every Christian in America tithed, we would be able to see Christianity expand at a rate that would be unprecedented. That's what's at stake with us tithing. But please understand, it belongs to God. The tithe belongs to God. Listen to what Leviticus 27.30 says. A tithe of everything, everything you have, belongs to the Lord. It is holy. The word holy means it's set apart for God. It's his. Now, in our day and age, okay, just think about normal life. If you keep something that belongs to someone else, what would we call that? It's stolen. It's stolen. That is why in Malachi chapter three, verse eight and nine, God says this, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. And you ask, God, how would we ever rob you? Like, give me a break. And God tells us how we rob him. You are robbing me with tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. And people balk at this verse because they say, oh, what are you saying, I'm under a curse? Now please understand what the word curse means. It doesn't mean hell. You tithing or not tithing has nothing to do with your salvation, zero. You can be 100% saved by faith, through, through, or by grace through faith, and you can never tithe in your life and it does not affect your salvation at all. That's not what this verse is talking about. You know what the word cursed means in Hebrew? This word right here, it means misery. 
And what's at stake is God's hand of blessing on your finances or God removing his hand of blessing. And when, he, when you don't have an area of your life that's blessed, of course you're gonna have misery in it. And that's why some of you, what breaks my heart, it breaks my heart because I've been there. You have so much misery financially. You, you just know it. It's a source of contention in your life. And the reason is because you're, you're disobeying this obvious command. And at this point, what so many Christians say is they say something like this. Yeah, that's Old Testament, right? That's Old Testament. I'm a New Testament Christian. Take that, pastor. And my response to that is always this. If Jesus was here today on this stage and he told you, New Testament Christian, to tithe, would you? I'm being serious. Like, Would you obey the words of Jesus if he told you to tithe? And Jesus isn't here physically, so I can only read you the words of Jesus that Christians miss all the time Two times in the New Testament, in Matthew 23, 23, and in Luke chapter 11, verse 42, when I'm gonna read you, listen to what Jesus says, and listen with an open heart. Jesus said, what sorrow awaits you Pharisees? Who were the Pharisees? The religious elite, the people that thought they had scripture all figured out, they knew it all. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. What were the Pharisees doing? They were taking even, they were tithing everything, right? Which is the biblical command. Everything you have came from God, so tithe off. So they're taking all their little mints in their house and going like, here's 10% to you, God. Here's 10% of my dill weed. Yes, there you go. Now watch what Jesus says next. And please, this is a moment for someone here today. You should tithe, yes. That is red letters from the lips of Jesus. You should tithe, yes, but what does Jesus go on to say? But don't neglect the more important things. What's he saying? When we tithe, we don't beat our chests like, look at me, look what I did, I I." I brought back to God what already belongs to him. Like a, two weeks ago, my daughter, um, my middle daughter, she, she, she needs, she's going somewhere and she needed a, 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 she didn't have any cash. She said, can I borrow $20 from you? I said, sure, here's a 20. Now, if she brought that back to me and was like, dad, <laughs> look what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna give you your 20 back. I'd be like, well, thank you. That was mine already, you know? Now, she could have said, no, it wasn't. It was God's. I'd be like, yeah, you're right. That's true. But we don't beat our chest when we bring back to God what already belongs to him. Jesus says, don't beat your chest on that stuff. Don't neglect more important things, which is what? Learning to give above and beyond. Like the other 90% belongs to God too, right? And let's, let's, let's care for others. Let's be godly to others. Let's not give our, you know, bring 10% and think we, we're done with like our generosity. No, God says move beyond, beyond it. But Jesus said clearly, you should tithe. He said it, and it is a principle laced throughout scripture. Some people ask, well, should I tithe off my gross or net? Like, what should I do? I don't know. You, you make that decision for yourself. I don't think scripture's clear on that, okay? If it was, I would tell you. 
I'll just tell you how I've, what I've come to reconcile in my mind. When I get paid and I get my paycheck, who do I want the very first portion of my paycheck, where do I want it to go? To the IRS or to God? Now, does the IRS have the ability of blessing your financial situation? <laughs> that would be no. <laughs> does God have the ability of blessing? Yes, so I, and this is just me, I want the first portion to go to God as honoring to him as him over it all. He owns it all, it all came from him. That's just me. Now the first time I ever really understood the concept of the tithe in my life, I got out my budget, I had a budget spreadsheet that had, that, that had all my income, all my expenses, and at the bottom it had a calculation that calculated if I was in a positive or negative situation based on all my expenses and my income. And I looked at what I was giving to the church, I had a line on there where I was giving to the church, and I realized I was not tithing, okay? There it is, I wasn't. I was giving to the church, I was giving 7.6%. I thought, well, that's pretty good, but it's 10%. So I plugged in 10%, and immediately the number at the bottom of the page went from a positive to a negative. And here's what I thought. I can't do it, God. See, it doesn't make sense on paper. I can't do it, now I'll do it when I get more. If you give me more, I'll do it. Because if I did it right now, well, that would require a lot of faith. <laughs> a lot of faith. And I realized later on, that's the point. That is the point that we trust in God, not us as the provider. Did you know in scripture, tithing is the only place we're invited to test God? Tithing is a test. And God says to you and to me, if you would test me on this one, you would see me work miracles. It's the only place we're invited to test God. I mean, look at this verse in Malachi chapter 10, verse 10, 3, verse 10, 11. God says, test me. He's talking about the tithe. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there won't even be enough room for it. And you'd say, well, how could God bless me? It may not even be financially. Okay? We're not a church that teaches health and wealth like we're not, God doesn't want to teach you to give to get. Do you understand that? He doesn't want to develop getters. He wants to develop generous people. But here's God's promise so you don't miss it. God promises to bless your life and provide for all your needs when you put him first in the area of your finances. That's his promise. How might he do that? Well, the very next verse, God says, I'll, I'll bless you. And then he says this, I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines of your field will not drop their fruit before it's ripe. Anybody else here feel like your financial situations just gets devoured all the time? Like gets devoured by something. Your car's breaking down all the time. Something's breaking in your house. There's an unexpected expense all the time and your bank account's just devoured and drained. What if God in his supernatural power could make things in your life last longer than they should? Do you think God could do that? Of course he can. And this is his idea of testing is, would you test me and see if I can't bless your situation in a way that you couldn't imagine when you acknowledge me as the owner of overall? So here's the test. Here's the test. God says this. Tithing promises that 90% with God goes further than 100% on my own. And that is, that is the thing you have to test in your own life. You can do it on your own. You keep all 100% or you keep 90% and you just tip God a little bit here and there. But listen, God is gonna tell you, then you're on your own. When you tithe, God says, oh, 
I see you've acknowledged my ownership, you wanna put me first. Now I can bless your situation and I promise that 90% with me goes further than 100% with you. Now that takes faith, doesn't it? That takes faith and listen, I've been doing this for a long time as a pastor and I hear the same two stories, people that tithe that say I'm blessed, people that don't tithe who are in misery. And I love you too much to not teach on hard topics and tell you, I want you to be blessed. I'm tired of people living in misery. I'm tired of people being where I was at in my marriage, almost falling apart because we ignored these principles from God. So the last question is, the first question is who owns it? Second question is who will I put first? And the last question is this, who will I trust? Will you keep trusting you or will you begin to trust God? You remember this coin? Mind your business. It's our motto for many of us for God. What is written on every piece of currency in America today? In God we trust. And you have a decision to make. Will you tell God, get out of my business, I'll do it my way? Or will you say, God, I wanna do it your way and I'm gonna trust in you? You know, for a lot of you, what, what's at stake is more than just your financial situation. What's at stake is a marriage. I have seen tithing, I'm telling you, I've seen it revolutionize marriages. There's people in our church today that say what saved their marriage was tithing because God began to show them a level of their faithfulness and blessing they had never seen before, and it unified them as a couple. If you are not tithing, you are not trusting God. If you are not trusting God, you're not putting him first. And remember, God cannot bless any area of your life that you will not put him first. He cannot. He has to be first. And I wanna just say this for anyone here struggling today that might think, this guy on stage is just saying that to get my money. I would tell you this. If you think I'm teaching you this so that we can just get your money at CCV, I wanna give you permission not to give a dime to CCV. Don't. But here's my challenge to you. You go find a church that you trust in their leadership and you tithe there because I would rather you go to another church and tithe so you don't miss out on God's blessing than stay here and not tithe because you don't trust me or you don't trust our church. That's how much this matters to me. It matters to me because I care about you. Now listen, men struggle more in this area than women. That's just been my observation. I think women have an easier time trusting God sometimes financially, so I'm gonna challenge men here. You step up and lead your family. You lead the way God called you to lead. And you begin trusting God like never before. So here's our challenge today. I'm gonna challenge you to put God to the test. If God invites you to test him, you test him. And here's how you can test him. Trust him with tithing for three months. Every single time you get paid, you simply bring back to God the very first 10% and you trust him with the rest. And you see if God is not faithful. You try him out, try him out. Now, how would you do that? What my wife and I do, we get paid every two weeks. We automate the important. We don't pass an offering here at CCV. You can get on our mobile app. You can get on our website. We do have some giving kiosks in the back that if you wanna drop in an envelope. But you simply get on and you automate the important. That's what we do. It's the first thing that ever comes out. If your uh, income isn't regular, just wherever, whenever you get an income, you just bring the first 10% back to God. It's, it's, it's really that simple. 
And when you begin tithing, for those of you that have never really tithed the full 10% before, when you start doing that, you email me. Why well, I'm asking you to email me? Because you're gonna have a story. And I love hearing the stories because they show you God's faithfulness. The only question is, are you gonna trust him? Are you gonna trust him? I'm gonna pray right now that God convicts someone here today to have the courage to begin trusting him in an area that is really hard to trust, but that he will show you his faithfulness like never before. Let's pray together. Father, I know how hard this topic is for some people. And right now, I'm just gonna pray that your Holy Spirit would move and that you would help us trust you and put you first in the area of our finances. And as we do, God, would you show all of us your faithfulness because it is your promise that we can test you in this. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, let's keep praying for Ukraine and you go out and have an amazing week, CCV. Love you.